0: The following is a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of 1500 ESPN. The following is a presentation of financial crisis recovery. Foreclosure, short sales, bankruptcy, credit card debt, job loss, depreciating home values, money management. Peace of mind when it comes to your finances seems completely out of reach under current conditions. But there is a way to achieve it. For the next 60 minutes, you're going to find out how to cover your assets. Cover your assets. Now, here's nationally renowned speaker and expert on getting you on the path to financial strength, Todd Rooker. Good morning.
1: Here for another episode of Cover Your Assets. Hey, I enjoyed uh, Jason Walgrave's show. If you were listening to Jason's uh, Minnesota Home Talk leading up to our show this morning, I as I always do listen to that show, and if the gentleman who was asking about uh, the real estate is still listening, uh, I would say that um, I, I know that you had uh, talked about how tough it is to make the investment properties work here in this environment, and I completely agree. We're analyzing properties all the time. And the cap rates are not good. Uh, however, the property that you were discussing where you had to put about forty or $50,000 into it to make it about $200,000, and how do you make that work? The reality is that if you're in real estate, you're in real estate for the long haul. Interest rates going up are going to uh, invariably bring up rents. And so you're gonna see the cyclical nature of it. Because you're you're in residential real estate, the great news is you do have inflation that is affecting real estate and that is somewhat predictable, which is not necessarily the case with commercial property in today's world. So you have that going already. And when you consider that even if you had a 50% equity position in a property, that means you got $100,000 into a $200,000 property, you still uh can generate a reasonable return that would be somewhere in the 4 to 6% range without considering increased rents going forward and the in the tax benefits that alone frankly is going to beat all things considered what most people will realize in the uh paper investment world so know that Although real estate, as you described, it's tough to to have the cash flow and make the numbers work in the way that you would like them to, which is more likely in the 8% plus range. Uh, remember that compared to what? If, it, if it's not good compared to what? Because if the alternative that is out there is no better than even when we're in an environment where pricing on real estate is too high to make the numbers work the way you want them to, the alternative is actually worse, and as time goes along, you live with the ups and downs, and invariably, you wind up being much better off, all things considered, and most importantly, that being the enormous tax benefits of real estate. So. I would just simply say that, and I also would tell you that, that uh, I would leave the forty or $50,000 of material costs, you doing the work as you described, in the property. I would leave it in the property, and I would not finance more than $160,000 so that you maintain that strong equity position so you don't feel as though you're constantly pulling money out of your own back pocket to support things that might go wrong in the future and, and challenges, and inevitably, you will get that property to a point where it's cash flowing and uh, uh, and uh, all the while, of course, appreciation is taken place. So that's just my take on that. I listened to that conversation and I couldn't help but want to comment on it. Uh, and uh, anyway, we're going to be talking today about purchasing life insurance. I'm a financial coach for a lot of people. And uh, when we go through people's budgets, their personal finances, which is a component of everything that we do, a lot of times they'll have investment life insurance. Uh, and of course, there's different types of life insurance. We're going to talk about it. And a lot of people buy life insurance and don't have good context as to what they should have uh, you know and and uh, and and why. And I'm gonna try to shed some light on that today because a lot of folks spend a lot of money on life insurance. It's not surprising or it's not amazing to me because I see it all the time uh, that someone will come in and be paying $1,000 a month and $2,000 per month for what we'll call permanent life insurance. And whether that person needs that, whether that's a good situation or not, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, so let's begin with this. Uh, life insurance. And by the way, be clear. I'm not a life insurance agent trying to sell you life insurance. I'm not a licensed insurance agent. So, uh, but do I understand it pretty well? Yep, pretty well. Um, and so the changes in the marketplace, the different products that, that are taking place, innovative products that come and sometimes go in the night are, are going to be lost on me to some degree, because I'm not engaged in the business, but I'm talking to people who are regularly. So it's not like I'm back in the dark ages. It's just the things are changing all the time. And with every profession to to be fully engaged, you have to be doing it every day. So I, I don't do that, and I'll confess that right from the beginning. But I certainly provide guidance and advice and help people vet decisions with their insurance agents or their financial advisors. And some of what we're going to talk about today is precisely that. So this is my this is my $300 per hour advice uh that people pay me for to help them vet these decisions. So first of all, who needs life insurance in the first place? Why would you even need it? And by the way, I should say if you have any questions specifically if you're going through this process right now and you have specific questions by all means feel free to call in, tell us about what what What's going on in your life, and and uh, what your decisions are, and how you're looking at things. We'd love to hear your insight. So, anyway, who needs it? Uh, you know, why do you even need it in the first place? Well, the 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 typical answer to that is you must have an insurable need. So what is an insurable need? Well, most likely it's a financial need, wherein if something should happen to you, there would be financial obligations that would be left upon your death and someone else whom you know or love or are in business with, would be left with those obligations and would not have the financial capacity to make those payments without dealing with some form of 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 hardship. So, what you're really trying to do is to either pay things off or provide an income stream once you die, so that when that takes place, if that takes place, uh, then there those funds will be available to take care of that financial obligation. And that's, I mean, that on the whole, that's that's what it's about. So, do people who are <laughs> I'm kind of chuckling here, even thinking about it. Do people need to buy life insurance to guarantee insurability down the road? In other words, oh my gosh, something could happen to you and you could be diagnosed with a major illness and then you won't be able to get life insurance. So you should buy boatloads of it today while you're still healthy enough, even though you really have no insurable need. Yeah, I don't buy that at all. Now, I mean, could there be unique situations where somebody has... Uh, family history of catastrophic illness, and and they've got a a fifty fifty chance of of being diagnosed with this terminal illness, and while they're healthy. They could get life insurance. Well, first of all, remember that in the underwriting process, your family history is very much brought into the fold. And so whether or not you can even get life insurance and could get through the underwriting process if you had something like that remains to be seen. But might that be an exception to what I've just said? Maybe, maybe. Um, but you know, I see a lot of, of, uh, of, uh, especially, high level professionals like physicians and folks who who have the potential, great earning potential in the future, being sold a lot of life insurance before they need any of it because inevitably they will need it later and that it's cheaper now, which we'll explore that as we go. I'm going to tell you that I don't buy into that. And that doesn't mean that my clients don't sometimes do it because look, at the end of the day, I give them information to help them make better decisions and all things considered, if they still say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway, then I say, fair enough, then let's figure out the best way to go about it. But, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't put a lot of stock in that. I think you need an insurable need. So let's give you an example or a couple examples of what that might be. Uh, you buy a house with someone, and you're not even married, but both names are on the financial obligation. That means the promissory note. You're both on the promissory note. Your incomes were both utilized uh, to demonstrate capacity to qualify for the loan, which is to say that without both incomes, there's not enough money to be able to pay all the other bills and still be able to make this payment. That's an insurable need. And that would justify a life insurance contract between two parties where even ne- not necessarily a relationship even exists, just simply a financial need. And that's, that's always what it's going to come down to. So that, that would be a, a good use of it. Another use might be, let's say a, a partnership agreement where you have a funded buy sell agreement. Now, a lot of business owners, uh, get sold on the concept of a buy sell. But, and usually that takes place, uh, through the life insurance agent, which is a bit comical because the people will have the life insurance contract to fund the so-called buy sell agreement. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute, but then they don't have the legal contract to execute it and ensure that everybody agrees and has to comply with the terms, which is comical. Uh, so, so that said, uh, a good attorney can draft a buy-sell, and a buy-sell simply says that if something happens to either one of the partners within this arrangement, then the other partner, they agree, and their heirs must agree, that this amount of money that we, two as partners who are owners of the business or, or the whatever going concern we're talking about— we accept this amount of money. So listen, listen, Jim, Bob, you die. I get a half a million dollars and I use that to pay your wife who now signs over your 50% of the business to me. And that happens automatically. And she has to accept that. And vice versa, Jim, Bob, when I pass away, Jim Bob's wife accepts or Jim Bob accepts uh, my wife accepts 500,000 from Jim Bob and she signs off my 50% over to to him. That's a, that's a buy sell agreement because neither one of us probably want to be in business. I mean, it's tough enough to be in any, involved in any partnership at all, let alone be involved with somebody's family who knows nothing about the business and now has equal decision making or potentially, depending on how the, how the partnership is structured, has equal decision making, uh, ability or, or, or power. Wow. I don't want that. Would you want that? No. So a buy-sell agreement says that my heirs have to accept this amount of money. And that's the end of the story. Now, (laughs) obviously, there's room for some contention in there and objection to that. But the goal is to try to create a contract, ironclad, if you will, that ensures that that happens. So if anything happened to either one of us, either through death or disability uh, with parameters... Whomever survives will have the money through that contract and you own it on each other to be able to pay off that portion of the business so that they own it free and clear and, and or, or, or own it entirely and no longer have that challenge or have a percentage of it. So that's a funded buy sell. Now, how you how you actually fund it could be numerous ways. It could be by selling a piece of real estate that the business owns and it could be held in trust. It could be, it could be selling a, oh goodness, it, it could be, uh, it could be cash. It could actually be physical cash sitting on the side waiting for that occurrence should it ever take place. Uh, and it could be, of course, a life insurance contract that that automatically funds, and that's the unique thing about about uh, a life insurance. It, it it creates what's known as an immediate estate, an immediate amount of money happens upon death. That's that immediate estate. So life insurance can be used for a funded buy sell agreement. Not necessarily doesn't have to be life insurance, but it could be. But hopefully what I've described here is a clear understanding for you business owners that, in fact, the agreement, the legal agreement between the the parties is way more important than the life insurance itself. That's got to be in place because you can have the life insurance, no contract. And guess what? Okay, I pass away. Jim Bob comes to my wife with the $500,000 and she says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to accept $500,000 for Todd's uh, portion of the business because in fact, I believe, speculative or not, that the business is worth way more than a half a million dollars and I'm not going to accept a half a million dollars for his 50%. Um, I want to be a business owner and I'm taking over 50% of the business. Wow, (laughs) that didn't work out, did it? That's why you need to have the contract. That's why that has to be in place. And it's it's not enough to talk to the life insurance agent who writes the life insurance contract and makes you owners and beneficiaries of each other's uh, policies. That's not enough. You got to have the agreement. But those are good reasons why someone would need life insurance. Uh, you know, I pass away and my my spouse is the breadwinner in the family. And you know what? We've got three kids. So wow, there's a, there's a tremendous need for life insurance. And even if you are the breadwinner, don't for a moment think that you don't need insurance on your spouse because that's nonsense. The, the amount of money that it costs to take care of children while you're engaged ongoingly every day full time in a business. Is a ton of money. I mean, a ton of money. You know, if, if I, I just I I have folks who have uh, children in the home who require uh, services, where they have. Uh, disabilities, those children, and someone else has to come into the household and take care of those people. Do you know that those services cost somewhere in the range of seventy to $90,000 per year, all things considered, for one child? So imagine having three children, not necessarily with any disabilities, but now your spouse is gone and somebody has to make the meal. Someone has to be there when they get home, pick them up from school, take them to the different uh, engagements and activities that they're involved in, uh, you know, register them for all the functions, help them do homework. Oh, my God. If you're engaged in a business where you make a substantial amount of money because your, your business is a bit of a lifestyle, you know, you, you make a six figure income. And so you know, those types of jobs kind of require your blood. It's certainly not a 40 hour per week endeavor. You are working 60 hours per week plus every week, not counting drive time, travel and all the things that go into making an income in a career like that. How in the world are you going to do both of those things simultaneously? So that's a, that's a perfect justifiable need for life insurance. And unless you have enough money right from the beginning to be able to do that, then life insurance is a justifiable product to be able to take care of that issue for as long as it exists. So that's who needs it. Now, what are the primary reasons? I've kind of tried to draw them out, but I'm going to give you something to, to go on here. You can write this down. Write down dime. D-I-M-E. That relates to death, income, mortgage, and education. These are often the trigger points that justify why people get, purchase, or need life insurance. So death, the cost of death. Well, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, uh, my my attorney, uh, uh, Song Lo, she's Hmong, and they have funerals that sometimes will last an entire week, and they are very expensive. So how much? Well, you know, we could be talking about $50,000, which is a lot of money. But compared to the other things that I'm talking about, it's actually a small amount of money. And for most people who don't have that circumstance, chances are 10000 bucks is going to take care of it and maybe even less, which means that you could probably self-insure for that occurrence. And that really isn't the most profound cost. Now, a lot of people don't want to leave their family with, with a bill. And some families, look, I understand, five or $10,000 may be a lot more money than anybody has. And so justifiably, the cost of final expenses may very well be something that you need to fund, either with real dollars uh, and or life insurance. So that's a purpose. Uh, that's a justifiable need, life insurance for the cost of death, final expenses. The next one is income. This is the biggie. This is really the biggie because at the end of the day, income is what you use to fund everything else. It's what you use to put food on the table, to purchase, uh, and, and, uh, the home you live in or pay rent. It's what you're going to use to fund an education if you are inclined to pay for your kids' education. So the income stream is really taking care of the majority of the other two after that. And that's the one you're trying to replace. Well, that's not a small thing. Because if you want to consider the, uh, the lump sum... And retirement planners at Great Waters can tell you this all day long. If you want to consider what it takes to replace an income of 80,000, 60,000, 150,000, not just for your retirement, but until your kids leave the home and until your spouse retires or passes away, we are talking about a lot of money. And that is what, what when we talk about the replacement of income through life insurance and or disability insurance, that's what we're talking about. And so when you hear, uh, you know, those who are in the industry throw out what seemingly are the out, these outlandish numbers, like 10 times your gross income. 20 times your gross income and you balk at that and say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Or, well, by God, my spouse can get married after I die. Well, first thing I have a problem with is, is not, not that, that I, I, I don't understand this notion that I don't want to be, you know, insurance poor. (laughs) A lot of people love to say that. Uh, I don't want to be insurance poor. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you this. I want to take care of my family because I love them. I put my blood, sweat, and tears every single day into doing that very thing. I go to work. I would, I would stand in front of a bus in front of my, for for my family and, and, and terminate my life so that theirs could go on and go on and, and have a nice life. Most people, caring, loving people, would say that. So the notion that after I die, I don't give a crap about them, and I'm more worried about being insurance poor than I am in taking care of them, I think is a faulty argument, frankly. Uh, Nevertheless, Uh, I do understand the sentiment because, because insurance can be very expensive and it does get a little frustrating. So I do get that. But there are calculations that one can use to figure out what's real. But I will tell you this. Seven to ten times your gross income, especially if you are in the early years of your, of your uh, trajectory through your career, meaning that you're, you're young relatively, uh, you, you're, you're married, uh, you've got children, you've got a mortgage. Uh, look, 10 times your gross income is by no means over the top, at all, at all. You know, if you make $100,000 a year, a million dollars, look, in fairness, it's not enough because if you look at what you can get is a consistent rate of return by annuitizing that. Annuitizing doesn't mean necessarily a life ins- or an insurance product as an annuity. It just means I'm going to convert that lump sum into a predictable and consistent income stream that I need every single month, month in month out to raise the family and live on. Well, look Check it out, talk to your financial advisor, see what type of rate of return you can get when you absolutely want certainty of an income stream every single month. Well, let me tell you right now, you're not gonna be excited about it. It's not, a, it's not a huge rate of return on your money when you need the money in that way consistently. So what that means is you need a larger lump sum to accomplish the same thing. So I'm not gonna get into the detail of how to vet how much you need uh, I'm not an insurance agent but I'm going to tell you that you know 10 times plus is by no means over the top but for a lot of people that's absurd and maybe unaffordable and I understand but we're going to get into a little bit about that as well. So the main thing we we we're, we're trying to replace is an income stream that's going to pay for most of those things and as I said from the onset of the show really life insurance is about Covering a financial obligation, either as a lump sum to pay it off entirely or to create an income stream to enable someone upon your death, your your heirs, to be able to make payments on something ongoingly for what may be a long period of time. And that's the raising of the family and multitudes of other things. So mortgage, of course, is a major obligation, but we need income to be able to do that. Is it, 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 might it be a good idea to take the life insurance proceeds and pay off the mortgage so I own it free and clear? Possibly. It's, if, if a client came to me and that was the thing they wanted me to help them make the, make the decision with, it would not be a simple yes or no. We would have to consider their income, we would have to consider the tax benefits of the interest write-off over time, we would have to consider what type of an interest rate they currently have on the mortgage, if the if the money, if money they have cheap money, like three, 4% interest, uh, as opposed to five, six, 8%, which we may have uh, shortly in the future. All of those things would go into it. And then remember that once you pay off your home, it's not like you get to live there for free. You've got property taxes that are gonna go up every year. You've got insurance that's going to go up ongoingly, and you've got a ton of maintenance, which many people overlook, which is why they often have a ton of deferred maintenance when they want to go and sell their home and can't sell it without investing sometimes tens of thousands of dollars just to get it to a place where it's marketable. So these are all the costs that go into that. The last of the dime, death, income, mortgage, education, is to fund an education for a child. Now, this may or may not necessarily be college. If you have your children in private, you know, let's say Christian or 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 uh, Jewish school or Muslim school or what have you, uh, look, that's that's not cheap. <laughs> that's not cheap, and the cost over that entire, uh, you know, time that they're going to school to lower school. Uh, elementary, junior high, or middle school and high school, heck, that could be nearly as much as a college education to fund private education in addition to having college education thereafter. So that's another component. Now, obviously, if the income stream replaces with the life insurance proceeds the income that you earned previously, that's great. And you could use those dollars to manage properly and put a portion of them away to fund an education just like you would with an income stream stream. But the one thing that really has to be considered here is inflation. And that means the decreasing purchasing power of money as you go. Wow. And boy, oh boy can that be a ton of money? And so just be aware that with an inflationary rate slightly higher than 3%, that means within your child's lifetime, twenty or your child's time at home, 20 years, the purchasing power of that money will be cut in half. And what it really means is that every single year, the purchasing power of that money is diminished over time. So what was plenty of money today upon the death of my spouse or my partner may not be nearly enough next year, or the year after, and the year after, and the year after. So all of these things are a part of the complex planning that must go into the purchase of life insurance. So to simply say, yeah, take the money and pay off the mortgage, like many, forgive me, dumb, dumb people just do. Because what? Well, Uncle Charlie said to do it. Well, Uncle Charlie, forgive me, doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. You really have to look at these things because the colossal mistakes that you can make when when just flippantly making these decisions can cost you a bloody fortune and put you and your family in huge financial jeopardy. So you really have to look at these things objectively, and there's many formulas and things that you must consider as you go forward. And in all fairness, even having all that information doesn't guarantee that it's going to work out the way you want it to because at the end of the day, a lot of things are going to be speculative. All you can do is take your best shot, but provide as much information within the formulas like the anticipated inflationary rate, the cost of of living for your family going up based on, you know, they're, they're this far into their life path. You know, if my kids are 12 versus when they're three, there's a big difference. So all of those things must go into it. And all of those things make for that decision. But at the end of the day, the primary reasons for purchasing life insurance, generally speaking, other than business purposes, which we've just talked about are death income, mortgage, and education. Those are the things, the major guideposts that are trigger points that make people think, Hey, maybe I need to get some life insurance. And then they go to see a life insurance agent. And, then they talk about the very things we're talking about. So the next thing we're going to talk about after the break is permanent versus term. Do you need a policy that pays whenever you die, even if you live to be 120 or just a policy that pays between now and 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and why? Let's take a break. We'll be right back talking
2: about how to purchase life insurance.
0: Home Rental Systems has been helping homeowners in the Twin Cities metro area realize their property investment's full potential. At Home
2: Rental Systems, we will take away all the hassles from renting your home. We have a proven home rental system for renting and managing single-family homes, townhomes, and condominiums, and will attain the highest monthly rent possible.
0: Go to homerentalsystems.com or call now 612-701-4375. to SMA the number two D daycom
2: If you are a current business owner or thinking about starting a business, what business structure is best for you? Sole proprietorship, corporation, or LLC? Most people pay a couple hundred dollars to the Secretary of State to start a business, and off they go, as opposed to doing it right and contracting an attorney to help them. Why is this? Pretty simple. Funds are low, and attorneys are expensive. Problem is, if you're structured improperly or do not manage the agenda and record the changes correctly, you could have destroyed nearly all legal protections your business would have otherwise been afforded. Don't just mindlessly start a business and put you and your family in legal jeopardy. If you have an existing business or would like to start your business right in the first place, an attorney from the law firm of Daniels and Keyboard will meet with you to determine the best business structure for your business. Handle the filings and we'll meet with you ongoing once a month for a year. After basic startup and filing fees, the cost to you is as little as $176 a month. Pretty awesome deal. Go to CYA21.com to get the details. That's cya 21
0: You're listening to Cover Your Assets with Todd Rooker.
2: Are you ready? Are you
0: ready? Are you ready? Are
1: you ready? ready? That's it,
0: man. Are Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for some life insurance? <laughs> Can you handle it?
1: Can you handle it? So you know, I, I I'm uh, you know I'm always reminded as I'm sitting here thinking between the breaks. You know how many how many industry people? Because I know I got a lot of financial advisors, insurance agents, attorneys, CPAs who listen to my show, and you know. <laughs> I tell how many of them are like, they're waiting to slap me down because who are you to cross into my lane? Well, listen, baby, I cross into everybody's lane, so too freaking bad. Uh, there's, there's no my, double lines uh, on each side of you. That's, yeah, that's right, right. That's right. I, 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 I easily, without any remorse, cross over into your lane. Without signaling. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> there's a mental image. Uh, so... So the first thing you got to know when we talk about term insurance versus permanent insurance and permanent would be, Whole life, universal life, variable universal life, uh, permanent is is a is a whenever I die. That means doesn't matter when I die, it goes and it goes and it goes. And the idea is whenever it happens, I've got coverage. Most generally, we would also consider that to be uh, an investment life insurance product, and in that there will be an investment component and then the cost of life insurance. So the permanent insurance, the what. Whenever I die is is a different product than what if I die in the next ten years, which is more a a need that can be addressed in ten years because the notion would be, hey, in ten years I don't need life insurance anymore, or in twenty years I don't need life insurance anymore, or thirty, or whatever the case may be. So to even consider understanding either one of these, we have to begin with a basic premise: the cost of life insurance goes up every year as you get older and older. So all of us, when we're born in a certain year or or a, a group, millennials, baby boomers, what have you, there are studies, actuarial studies that are done to determine the average mortality, which are going to be very, very close and will be monitored as they go to the point where this isn't, that's, that's the notion of actuarial science. So the, the, the idea is that they're looking at average mortality. Now, as I've said on the show before, remember something about average mortality. That means how, what, what is the average age that most people are going to live. And remember that whenever you're dealing with averages, that has nothing to do with you because you could die sooner or you could die later. They're just saying of this group, here's the average. But Every year that you get closer to mortality or death, morbidity, uh, you are going to pay more for life insurance because the likelihood becomes more and more imminent or prevalent as you go along. So if I'm 30, I'm going to pay less money for life insurance than I am if I'm 31 and 32 and 33. Now, there are exceptions to that as mortality tables change and the actuarials determine that people live, are going to live longer than they had anticipated. But we're going to leave that alone for now. The main point is, is that life insurance goes up every year. And so whenever you're buying a life insurance product that is, that is, at least in the consumer's mind, guaranteed to be the same price for a period of time, you must understand that internally, that's not really how it works. All they're doing is providing you with an average. So if you take out a policy like a 10-year term policy and you're 30 years old, Bear in mind that you're basically getting an average premium over the life of that contract being 10 years. And so if you start at 30, it's going to end at 40. Well, it's going up internally every single year. That if you bought a policy like that, and there they do exist, known as annually renewable term, that means that every year the cost is going to go up, up, up. And they will always be the least expensive. But of course, what happens? As soon as they begin to get expensive, people get ticked off as the, as it goes up, up, up. And the life insurance industry as well as individuals, well, not all individuals have figured out that people just don't tolerate increases ongoingly. Even if they start off way less than everybody else, they just don't like that. And so you, they set up a policy to pay it to be an average. Well, if you understand that internally, the cost is actually going up, up, up you're not getting to the average until you would be, let's say halfway through that contract. So if you started at age 30 by 35, that's when the, actual real internal costs would be consistent with what you're paying, which means that in the first five years, you've been overpaying for the cost of that insurance so that when you get beyond the fifth year in a 10-year contract, now you're going to be able to take the extra money that you overpaid in the beginning, and it will be used to subsidize the higher premium in the later years, that being the last five years. Now, that, of course, is the same thing if it's a 20-year contract, a 30-year contract, or in the case of permanent life insurance, the whole lifetime. So recognize that that's always the way it works. And so at the end of the day, if in five years, in a 10-year term policy, you get ticked off and stop paying it, know that you've been overpaying for the five years, and now the benefit to you would be that now the next five years, when the premium would be higher, you're able to pay that consistent premium that remains the same, and to call it level through that whole period of time you just gave that away because you canceled it so you overpaid it overfunded it so to speak and now you didn't take advantage of the benefit on the other side of that let's be real if i'm in life if i'm a life insurance company i'm loving that because as you get older, the risk to have to pay that claim becomes higher and higher. And guess what? You canceled it, and I made way more money in the early years of that contract. So you got to be aware. That's the way all life insurance works. That's the idea. And I'm not trying to make the life insurance companies out to be these insidious Rotten people, they're just in a business where they're trying to make money. Everybody who's in business tries to make money. And as I say, if, if people making money on you ticks you off, you're going to be angry your whole life. So just get, get over it. But that's how it works. So a, a permanent policy can be used for a number of things. But I reject the notion that your permanent life insurance is the, is the do all be all of investments. I really have a hard time with that. And I understand, you know, that, you know, it, you know, you've got products where you can pick your mutual funds within it and all that kind of stuff. But part of the problem with permanent policies in some cases, so don't insurance agents lose your mind when I say this. They're using outdated mortality tables for the cost of the life insurance. So when we say the cost of the life insurance, let's say it this way. Each unit, each $1,000. So if we've got $100,000 worth of coverage, if you die, the death benefit, then each unit, 100 of them, has a cost. Well, the cost of life insurance and the fees to maintain it internally are often, forgive me, overpriced, but they can show you the benefit of the investment side, which gives you this wonderful tax benefit where the compound growth does not get taxed. And so it can grow just like a 401k internally, but just like a traditional 401k. As you take money out down the road, once you get past the actual premium you paid in, you will pay gain tax, capital gain tax, dividend tax on that money. You will pay that. Of course, you life insurance agents are going to tell me all about how FIFO works. First in, first out. You're going to take the premium first and then take the investment or the return on investment out last so you can try to avoid the the cost. I'm aware. Nevertheless, that's how it works. So, frankly, I don't really care about the investment side of it because most of the time the investment side is riddled with more fees than the traditional mutual fund because you've got another layer, the life insurance company, who is managing or overseeing that investment side. So I'm not excited about the investment component to begin with. But even if you tell me the investment component is the best thing since sliced bread, I'm still not happy with it if I'm overpaying for the life insurance higher to get the better rate of return, so in the end, I don't see life insurance as being the greatest investment. Period. Nevertheless, there are instances where it's a where there's a good utilization for it. But I don't believe that the life insurance is the thing that you should use to fund your kids' college education, to fund your own retirement, and all those other things. And and any financial advisor who who, who thinks otherwise, we're going to have a real spirited disagreement in that. So. I think that even though you have executive bonus plans using ESOP, there are reasons uh, to do this. There are certain people who are in certain income categories that justify life insurance as being an investment after and only after you fully funded your qualified plans like your Roth, your SEP, your Keo, your 401k or 403b. Then maybe the life insurance is the next alternative maybe so uh that's permanent life insurance we're gonna take another break here and we'll be right back
0: he can lift a bus straight over his head he can fly around the world in seconds and he has the power to regenerate entire limbs
2: If you are a current business owner or thinking about starting a business, what business structure is best for you? Sole proprietorship, corporation, or LLC? Most people pay a couple hundred dollars to the Secretary of State to start a business, and off they go, as opposed to doing it right and contracting an attorney to help them. Why is this? Pretty simple. Funds are low, and attorneys are expensive. Problem is, if you're structured improperly or do not manage the agenda and record the changes correctly, you could have destroyed nearly all legal protections your business would have otherwise been afforded. Don't just mindlessly start a business and put you and your family in legal jeopardy. If you have an existing business or would like to start your business right in the first place, an attorney from the law firm of Daniels and Keyboard will meet with you to determine the best business structure for your business. Handle the filings and we'll meet with you ongoing once a month for a year. After basic startup and filing fees, the cost to you is as little as $176 a month. Pretty awesome deal. Go to CYA21.com to get the details. That's CYA21.
4: If you're in a financially challenged situation or want to ensure that you never are, I have the knowledge and the information you're looking for. My name is Todd Rooker. When you want information on today's most pressing economic and financial pressures, who do you talk to? Their attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors, mortgage brokers, and real estate agents. Everyone has a different opinion, and these professionals do not always work well together. It's not enough to find an expert in one area. You need a comprehensive approach that addresses all of your concerns and enables you to create an overall plan. I have over 20 years experience in this highly specialized field, and it is my my job to work with all of the professionals previously mentioned and know much of what they know, allowing me to provide you with a cohesive and unbiased strategy that addresses everything related to your situation. I will help you to strategically plan for a financial crisis, minimize the damage, recover quickly, and most importantly, help ensure that you're never here again. You have a lot more options than you think, but don't waste time. Go to cya21.com and get my free download Financial Crisis Bible or call us at 763-559-3800. That number again, 763 559
0: to DAY.com.
2: You're listening to Cover Your
0: Assets with Todd Rooker.
1: Welcome back, everybody. So what would be another utilization for a permanent policy? Well, in my early days, early financial planning days, uh, I grew up on a family farm, and at that time, the estate tax uh, was incurred at a much lower number. At the time that I was uh, in the in the farming world, uh, farmers were and and still, in many cases, are asset rich in that the family farm is passed from generation to generation without any notion that it would ever be sold. And see, when you're a city person, you don't even understand that. But you're never really, you're mentally never really own the land. You're the caretaker for the next generation is the way that you're taught from the time you're a little kid. However, preserving that family farm is no small thing because at that time, the tax uh, kicked in in a dramatic way once you got over a much lesser number than today. Today it's it's well, I'm, I'm not even going to quote it, but and if with good proper planning you can you can pass over ten million dollars between a husband and a wife to the next generation and 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 pay virtually well. Minnesota has their tax, but federal uh, very little tax, but. That was a good utilization because nobody wants to sell the farm to pay the tax. And so the idea would be that whenever mom or dad passed away, they were known as joint second to die life insurance contracts. That policy would kick in when the last person, mother or dad, mom or dad, whomever died last, uh would pay the kids that amount of money, which they would then use to pay the tax so that they would own the farm and wouldn't have to liquidate land as an asset to pay the tax. That was you know, perfect utilization for a, what, doesn't matter when I die, whenever it happens, that I need the life insurance to pay because I don't have the money to do it because I own an asset, but the asset doesn't produce enough income for me to be able to save enough to be able to do that. So that would be a great utilization to create an immediate estate for permanent life insurance. And there are others. Uh, But, you know, the the reality is that for most people, they really probably are not going to need permanent life insurance. And, And term insurance is something where you cannot hide the numbers behind the investment component. So when I, as I described before the break, you got two things going on. You got the pure cost of life insurance, the cost per unit, and then you've got the investment side. Well, when you when you commingle those two things, it's easy to lose the numbers and not not you know one one looks good while the other one may not, and overall the blended may not be spectacular or it may be good. Depends. Um, so you, you really have to be able to analyze that. Problem. Properly and, and, and dig into the pure cost of the life insurance versus the upside potentially of the investment component, all things considered. But for most people, that's not a good product. The reality is for most people, term is going to be the best. And the thing about the term is it's a naked product in so much as you can very easily analyze if this is a competitive product based on the, the marketplace, because of course you can go online today to many of the of the online services who will have a hundred different companies and tell you what the best rate is or the best company for your life, your 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 age group and, and classification. Are you a smoker? Are you not? Blah, 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 blah. But what you don't recognize in the, is the underwriting process where someone can throw out the best rate, but they could have the most stringent underwriting criteria and where you think you're going to qualify for the super duper. Galactic rate, you won't qualify because although they've got the best number online for the people, the very, very few who qualify, they're more stringent in the underwriting and virtually nobody qualifies for that rate. So you have to be aware of that too. And that all that jockeying is going on. But the great news about a term is you can see what it is compared to everybody else and realize that the more you take on, meaning 100,000, 300,000, 500,000, a million, there's what's known as banding. Banding means that the higher numbers are going to give you a lower cost per unit or per 100,000 of coverage. As you go higher and higher into those ranges, you're getting somewhat of a discount as a cost per unit as you go. So you can't calculate 300,000 against 500,000 and 500,000 against a million because they're not the same thing. They give you a discount when you get higher. So, you don't get to just simply say, well, I'll take out a million, then I'll back it off to $100,000 and I can assume the premium will be 50%. Uh -uh, Not necessarily. Uh, So that's the way uh, the term business works. Now, you might ask, you know, why, why would, how long would I need life insurance? Well, look, let's look at the things I brought up, death, income, mortgage, and education. The irony is that the earlier you are in your life path, the more you need life insurance, right? I mean, if my kids are 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 infants, if I die tomorrow, it's gonna cost a lot more money to take them through college than it's gonna take if they're already almost through high school, right? And if I need to support my spouse all the way through retirement, but I'm already nearly at retirement and I've got those funds available, well then the need for life insurance diminishes as I go, doesn't it? So the irony is, at the time in my life when I need life insurance the most, It's also at a time when I frankly can probably afford it the least. That's also why you should be looking at a term policy. And typically you want to have a term policy that at least takes the kids out of the household. So if they're not gone by age 25, guess what? They should be. And that number is a predictable number I can plan for. And now I don't have to worry about it. I'm qualified. I'm good. That's term insurance. Let's take another break. We'll be right back.
0: Home Rental Systems has been helping homeowners in the Twin Cities metro area realize their property investment's full potential. At Home Rental
2: Systems, we will take away all the hassles from renting your home. We have a proven home rental system for renting and managing single family homes, townhomes, and condominiums, and will attain the highest monthly rent possible.
0: Go to HomeRentalsystems.com or call now 612 701 4375. Oh,
1: yeah. I'm going to crank this up on my way home. And I'm going to be driving about 120 and playing video games on the freeway. You're that guy. Man. I am that guy, man. I am that guy. You see your kids blasting through, going from one side to the other. Yeah, man, that's me. That's me. 700 horsepower coming at you fast. All right. So, look, um you never, if you have life insurance currently, and you think you have the wrong kind, and you're saying, why in God's name did they sell this to me? Look, the insurance industry, who has who is now, uh, in the investment world, realistically incentivizes the crap out of these agents to sell you permanent life insurance. And they make more money at a time when they need to make enough money to put food on their table. And it takes a lot more investment dollars to come close to getting the same commission for a life insurance contract. Hey, look, man, if I sell you a $10,000 investment or I sell you a $100 per month life insurance contract, you know what the irony is? I make more money on the life insurance contract contract. contract in the first year than I do on the investment. That's now. Is there a lot of people who can afford to, to, to write a check for 10 grand? No, Is there people? are there a lot of people who can afford to do 100 bucks a month for life insurance? Lots more, obviously, and then as I progress in my career, invariably I get sick of the life insurance once I've met my requirements and I'm making enough money to live and then I start to move away from that. So the life insurance companies really have the young advisors under their thumb and really create that. Here's the deal. You can do an informal inquiry. So when I talked about all of the underwriting and the and the way that they position themselves to look like they've got the best premium, but then they've got stringent underwriting procedures and you don't qualify for that rate, you can do what's known as an informal inquiry. So first know this. You never cancel the policy you have until you have a new one. Informal means you have to put no premium down and you can qualify for the life insurance and then decide if you're going to take it. That's the way to go. Hope this is helpful, guys. Have a great weekend. I'm going to be listening to ACDC on the way home. Bye-bye. One, one.
0: The proceeding was a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of 1500 ESPN.